It's Song Talk Radio. Welcome to Song Talk Radio, the show with songwriters talking to other songwriters about the craft of songwriting. Most of the time. Some of the time. Most of the time. Most. 99%. Often. We can, we, we may be able to measure that one of these yeah. times. <laughs> We share tips, tools, and techniques, and together we all become better at writing songs. I'm your host, Neil Modi, and with me, my co-host, Phil Emery. How are you doing, Phil? I am just doing, well, I've, I've had a bit of disaster. I uh, oh, no. You know, I always had a, I have a very special studio cup, coffee cup, which is uh, big and square and very heavy and hard to tip over. And then uh, one night uh, over the weekend, I forgot to put in the dishwasher, so I thought I'd try another coffee cup. And with disastrous results and spilled coffee all over my trackball. And I had to pour coffee out of my trackball. And uh, now the only thing that's left of my trackball is the ball. So if you make sure you have a very non-tippy coffee cup while it's around your equipment or you will be sad like me. And, and like the old song says, it's hip to be square. So your square, there you square mug was way there better, wouldn't it? <laughs> okay, and tonight uh, we're very happy to have uh, song studio operators and most excellent song singer-songwriters, Blair Packham and Alistair Bradley. How are you doing, guys? Hi, fine. How are you guys doing? <laughs> well, that's Blair there, and uh, hi, Alistair. See, see, that's dangerous. You, you introduce two people and ask them, how are you? And they're both looking at each other. You go first. No, you go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. I'm doing quite well. Thank you, Neil. Canadians, they never want to interrupt each other. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Sorry, and, and tonight we do have a little something special for this episode. It's another uh, draft game show, how we love doing those. Um, and for this one, we're going to be picking and talking about our favorite uh, music movies. So these can be documentaries, biopics, musicals, concert films. Anything else, Phil, that I missed on that yeah, list? anything. It can yeah, be, you anything. know real um it could be tv shows um anything yeah. you like yeah or tv shows yeah um and uh, okay so before we start the game uh, as usual send your comments and questions to at song talk radio on facebook or instagram uh, or feedback at songtalk.ca for the email and we'll share your thoughts on the show and please visit songtalk.ca to see the show post for this episode to find links to stuff we mentioned and to download lyric and chord sheets to follow along with songs that we feature okay so Phil, why don't you tell our listeners and us <laughs> how this game is going to work tonight? So basically, this is an excuse to get together and talk about our favorite uh, movies about musicians and bands. And it's a draft show, so the idea is we all have a list of uh, entries that we've all kept to ourselves. And we take in turns to choose something of our list and basically say why we like it. And we'll all kind of, you know, maybe comment on the other people's selection and um if someone has sniped your the movies on your list you admit it and then you get uh, the person who does the sniping gets a point and then at the end um the person who wins gets uh well breaking points and blair has won this more than That's a few right. times i think yeah actually. blair won a couple times That's right he's the <laughs> I, I, it's funny. I must have been in a coma because I don't remember. I yeah. I actually won something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You won it. You won it when we did it. Was that when we did it live in the studio? Uh, a couple of times we did it live in the studio. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did I win anything good? Was it the '90s Canadian songs or something? Something like was that. Was that the one? Yeah. I don't remember now. Oh, I think it would have been great now. if yeah. would have been great if you'd won a, a square coffee mug. 
<laughs> that should be the golden prize. Song Talk Radio. That's awesome. That could be good. It could win a sports car. That would be nice. Okay, well, maybe we'll give you a sports car if you wish. Sure, sure. You'll need a better sponsor. We'll, we'll, we'll reach out to Mattel and see what we can get. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So the order of the picking is uh, given to us by the kind folks at random.org. Remember, when you're thinking of random, make it .org. And um, a suggestion from Alistair, which is something I never thought of, is that we'll go through the random list and then we'll go uh, backwards. So the person who's chosen last gets to um, choose first on the next round. So it mm-hmm. works out all kind of fun. And then I'll do another randomization and we'll do it there. It'll be starting off with Alistair, then me, then Blair, then Neil. Alistair, uh, why don't we start with you? I feel like a winner already. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wow. I, I, I really took this to heart. I had so much fun. In fact, looking through, you know, uh, old, old movies and, and I actually watched a few of them over the past few weeks. So I had a long list and I narrowed it down to 10 and I, and I did take off anything that was not a movie. So I even had some TV shows on there. If only I'd known, man, I would have kept them too, but I am going to go with one that I'm sure we all equally love. I'm going to say this is Spinal Tap. Ah! Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. I I, I knew we'd love it equally. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah. What what can you say? It is it's amazing. 1984, directed by Rob Reiner and with those crazy guys, Michael McKee and Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer and a huge cast of extra wonderful people in there including Paul Schaefer, in fact. I know. Yeah. In um, 2002, it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. I thought the word you were going to use was inappropriate. (laughs) But I think that's that's entirely appropriate because it contributed, I mean, musicians right at this very, very moment in recording studios and rehearsal halls and at sound checks are saying things like, none more black. Or uh, you know other 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 catchphrases from Spinal Tap and and uh, and and you know it goes to eleven. They're pointing at their their amps and saying, "Look, it goes to 11. Yes. Mm-hmm. and so forth. And uh, and I think it's you know not just among musicians, but particularly among musicians, it really has has a heavy weight uh, and uh, like in a good way. It mm-hmm. uh, it's a really great movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I I do worry about the the cohort of people growing up this whole generation who believes that d minor is the saddest key of all i mean that's (laughs) very problematic i find it ironic that it is probably the most accurate of all the movies (laughs) about being in a band like most of the ones are just so wrong and spinal tap actually is it's as stupid and the the fighting and often the the very intense emotional connections (laughs) between people Yeah, it's actually a very they're viral film, sections, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a a rock movie that I won't mention. It might be on one of your lists, but um, it gets lauded a lot for being uh, highly realistic. I think Spinal Tap is way more realistic. And I'll, if the name comes up, I'll I'll name it uh, mm. or I'll say that's the one I was talking about. And if it doesn't, I will uh, say later. The movie I was talking about was blank, um, but everybody always goes, oh, my God, it's so real. It's like, no, Spinal Tap to me was real to mm-hmm. the point where I saw it in New York City with uh, the bass player from the Jitters, my old band. And 
he had he was he's five years older than me and he had way more band experience than me and we left the theater he laughed a few times but he said when we left he said i didn't think it was that funny it was a little too close to home <laughs> so uh, okay. and, I, and i will say this i saw spinal tap play live in 2001 oh, wow. in uh san francisco and they wow. were they were great yeah yeah they had a massive <laughs> banner across the back of the stage it wasn't that the, 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 it was their sponsor. Uh, the sponsor wasn't Depends, but it was a name like Depends, and it was <laughs> and it, and and the big banner said "Keeping Spinal Tap Dry." It was it was wonderful, <laughs> but, but the but the music was legit. It was great. Right. That's great. Yeah, the, 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 that's perhaps the the most mind blowing thing is that they actually made a like it, it started out as a mockumentary that turned into a real band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird. <laughs> All right. Um, so my uh, selection is something that was very early for me it was the first time as a young kid that I saw something and went, wow, what a great song. I actually thought of something as, wow, that is a great song, as opposed to just sort of going, well, you know, just liking it as, as kids do. And of course, that's the uh, 1966, 1968 TV sh uh, series, The Monkees which, uh, of course, was in syndication for, for many years, started off in 66, and program aided in, uh, ended in 68 um, after the second season and received a long afterlife through Saturday morning re repeats. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was a huge thing for me. It was just fun. It was based on the Beatles. It had um, one of Mike Nesbitt's, I think, best songs ever, which is Papa Jean Blues, which has still influenced me to the final day good choice yes it was highly influenced by hard days uh, by a hard day's night the beatles first film but also by help their second film uh the idea that uh the beatles all lived in the same house together was the one idea that they took for the monkeys and you know they all lived in monkey monkeys headquarters and uh yeah it was uh, very beetle like okay blair you're up one of my favorite movies of any kind ever whether it has music in it or not, they all have music, but but uh, would be the movie Once. Oh, yeah. nice. Nobody? Okay, great. No, no. Um, it uh, features, oh, oh, Neil, it features um, Glenn Hansard, the Irish uh, singer-songwriter, and um, he's a busker on Grafton Street in Dublin, and a beautiful young woman comes by, and she's just walking by, and... Uh, she listens to his song and she starts talking to him and they fall in love and then there are complications and so forth. But this, the, the song is hauntingly beautiful. The, the main song from the movie. And it's just such an enjoyable love story. And the, but the song is heavily featured in the movie, like over and over to the, but it's, it, it's not, it's never, um, it's never too much. And uh, the the movie, the story was made into a Broadway play that I think is still running. Um, it's really something. It won an Academy Award for Best Song, which it should have that year, and it should have and did. It's such a great movie. It really is. I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. It's so beautiful. So, anyway. And it is very authentic. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 uh, it's original. It's, it keeps your attention for the whole duration and the music, like you say, is gorgeous. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel manufactured. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I feel like it's one of those movies that was on my radar for a while. I wanted to see it, but I never got around to it. Um, but yeah, it's well, now on my you'll radar have again. To. <laughs> I'll absolutely right. have to. Yeah. On one of the streaming services somewhere. <laughs> Uh, okay, so my first pick is um, is a concert film <clears throat> that actually I I bought the uh, I bought the Blu-ray of this sight unseen only because I was a fan of the band and everyone told me that this concert film is hands down the best concert film ever. Um, talking Heads stop making sense. Oh, of course, good choice. And and and, and, it, I, and but... I popped it into the, to the DVD player, and I was like, "Why is this so great? Like, I don't I don't get it. Why it's so cool?" But it was just so captivating, and and it was I think it was just the stage presence of of, uh, of David Byrne, and just like the, the the suit get up and everything like that. And then of course, yeah. Jonathan Demi directing, and of course, you know, goes from that to Silence of the Lambs. So I don't know where the fit is but (laughs) you know um but it was just yeah something about it is just it just grabs you and it's just incredible suit skin suit yeah (laughs) right that's the connection (laughs) that's the connection okay (laughs) okay gotcha gotcha In in the summer of 1980, uh, there was a, a festival at Mosport Park in uh, in, in Bowmanville um, that uh, featured Elvis Costello, Rockpile, The Pretenders, B-52s. It was called Heatwave, and the Talking Heads were uh, they played in the afternoon, and they debuted that big band from from Stop Making Sense. And so I was there working on the crew and um, sitting at side stage. And as they came out first. David Byrne came out and he sang Psycho Killer solo. And then uh, one by one, band members came out, but they didn't stop. They just kept coming out. So so the original Talking Heads came out and then more people and more people and more people. And it was so exciting because it just, the sound just got bigger and bigger and better. And it was amazing. And I didn't, nobody knew, at least, well, I didn't know that there was going to be a film made of it. But the film was made, I think, less than a year later, maybe only a few months later, because it was based on the whole idea of the band getting bigger and bigger like that yeah that was exciting to see it's a it's a it's an amazing movie and it is just you know david byrne is um such an artist with a capital a uh like he's a great musician but he's actually all you know they all came from art school which you know probably helped but um you know he's such an amazing performer and just he knows how to hold focus and uh yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, if you haven't seen it, definitely see it because it's entertaining from the start to the finish. And do you have to be a Talking Heads fan or at least know their songs to appreciate that film? Or I don't know. Uh, when I saw the show that they did that I referred to, I only knew about four of their songs, and yet mm-hmm. it was captivating. So I would imagine no. Um, uh the uh, David Byrne film uh, American Utopia is a mo- is a is a music movie. There's a it's a Broadway show, but they made it into a, a movie, and it's a it's a movie that could easily be on my list. It's not, but um, I hardly knew any of those songs, and it was great. It was hmm. so great. Okay. It should be on my list now that I think of it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and on a side note. That week that I saw Spinal Tap in San Francisco, I saw the V-52s two nights later. Oh, wow. wow. It was was a heck of a week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. So, Neil, here you get another pick. Oh, I get a double pick. Okay. Um, Let's see. 
Uh, what should I go with next? Okay, so <laughs> this one, I'm 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 thinking maybe none of you guys have a song list, but I just want I want to put it. Um, this is this is an animated movie. I think it's a musical. It definitely is a musical. There's no doubt about that. The South Park movie, bigger, longer, and uncut. Because <laughs> the songs in this movie, as perverse and as vulgar as they are are fantastic songs and they they catch you and they stick with you <laughs> and, and it's just something about something about those south park guys they're just amazing songwriters and and, and the whole thing is a send-up of a broadway musical you know with the, with the yeah. big power ballad and the and the and most of the other tunes are pretty quirky but yeah just just a solid solid soundtrack <laughs> And then everything, and of course, just like a music, like it all makes sense in the story and everything. Like it's just, it's brilliant. They they had like a, a Broadway kind of show, which um, which I saw. Yeah, the live. Book of Mormon, right? The Book of Mormon, and it's an amazing yeah. musical, like right yeah. up there with a, with a great, incredibly well written songs. A Team America, yes, uh, yeah, uh, that also incredibly well written songs and funny and vulgar and everything else. There's no I in Team America. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, there, yeah there is all right blair you're up next i'm up next oh okay uh that thing you do all right got me excellent so i got a point fine got me um Okay, that thing you do. So uh, Tom Hanks um, and uh, oh, uh, Steve Zahn and uh, who else? A whole bunch of really great players. And it's a Beatle-like band, but it's in America. And the song was written by, um, uh, oh, from Fountains of Wayne. Um, uh, oh, yes. what was his oh, name? Yeah. Uh, what's his name? He passed away in from COVID, unfortunately. Adam Adam Schlesinger. Singer. Yeah. Yeah. He was working with uh, Sarah Silverman uh, and uh, my girlfriend's ex-husband on doing a Broadway play um, with Sarah Silverman. So Adam would be doing the music. And uh, God, Broadway's come up a lot for from, from me, a guy who doesn't really like Broadway. Um, but uh, I've made a lot of references to it. But it's they were working on a, on a musical together and then Adam passed away from COVID. Um, but, uh, he wrote the title song, that thing you do, which is in terms of a sort of a Beatles pastiche from the early sixties kind of thing. It's brilliant. What a catchy song, catchy and smart. And, uh, Liv Tyler is in the movie. She's so, uh, I, you know, I have a crush on her just from watching that movie. It's just so great. And the, the story's fun and compelling and, oh, I, I love it as a musical movie. It's great. I've, I've watched it again and again and again, and I even, I even watched on the 25th anniversary of the movie. The cast did a YouTube live. Oh wow! Where they said, "Okay, now everybody, you play your your DVD copy of the movie, and we'll play ours. And as as we go through, we'll do like the the uh, the voice, the, the director's uh, comments or whatever." So they had they had the actors. They didn't have Tom Hanks, uh, but they had Colin Hanks. They had wow. and they had and they had a bunch of other actors, you know, pop in on the on their. I guess it was a Zoom meeting or something. It was right. a whole it was a whole lot of fun. But yeah, that's oh, that would be great. Yeah, that that is a big big movie in in our family. We've, we we watch it again it's, and again. And I love that song. And the song plays about a dozen times in the movie. I never got sick of it. I love it. Well, every time you hear it, it's more polished. Yes. Mm. Yes. 
That's right. Now, uh, the director's commentary thing, I want to go back to Spinal Tap for a moment and just say, on the DVD of Spinal Tap, there, there is a commentary, there's commentary track, and they also did the commentary track for the CD-ROM. Now, you remember those CD-ROM? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And now I can't remember which is which. Alistair, since you're laughing, you probably remember. Did they do the one on the DVD in character? Or did they do it as their themselves? Well, I, where I thought you were going, I, I don't know the answer to your question, but where I thought okay. you were going was when they put the DVD out, they added a fresh documentary about you know where is now, now what was his name i i, I want to say nigel uh, nigel tuffinol uh, no Hubbins. no rob reiner's character oh. the, doc, the documentarian oh, was oh, it was marty de burgi marty de burgi it was a where is marty de burgi now it, right. documentary that's on the dvd okay i've never seen that that's brilliant I, that's a great idea but um but one of them they do in character and another one they do uh as the actors and the actor one is very interesting and they're funny and they they you know they make jokes with each other and so forth and they'll say oh my god this is wadi Waktel's wife yeah we asked her that morning if she would if she would be in the in the film and um and so forth but in character they keep commenting on all the people on screen and they keep saying things like wanka <laughs> oh, th oh, this guy, this bloke. Oh, I hate, I hate him. What a wanker! And they and they keep doing that, and, and it's it, they're both really funny, but for different reasons. My next pick, uh, no one has picked it. I was going to put it off to the to the to what else because it's a nice thing to do. Um, but no one has picked it, so I'm going to pick it. The original, the thing that I think kind of started this whole thing is the Beatles' Hard Day's Night. Released in 1964 and directed by Richard Lester. And it was a financial and critical success and nominated for two Academy Awards. It actually wasn't on my list. I was just cheering because oh. I love it. Oh, okay. yeah. oh I, I figured it would yeah. be on your list. No, it, it could have been, but I thought, nah, I want to win some points here. So, <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nominated for two Academy Awards, including Best mm -hmm. Original Screenplay. And 40 years after its release, Time Magazine rate, rated it as one of its top uh, 100 of all-time great films. And it's yeah. the thing that started videos and, and the whole idea of what a musician is, as opposed to someone who just mm. plays music, as being someone who has a personality and is supposed to be funny and has resulted in many musicians acting like a total jackass because they weren't trying to be funny and they're not, you know, they're they're so young. They're just a bunch of kids, you know? Blair, I thought you'd have much more to say about it. Well, it's wonderful. I love it. It's uh, it's still exciting for me to watch now. Um, but I uh, I also uh, a number of years ago, and I could have included this on my list too. I I got the uh, Beatles' first U.S. visit on DVD, and mm. um, it's uh, around. It's almost at the same time. It was maybe. Gosh, it was it was around the same time. They, I think they went to, uh, home from America and made A Hard Day's Night. And so this is a black and white film that's shot in New York while they're in the back of cabs and stuff. And they're in their hotel and they meet Bob Dylan and stuff like that. So it's all real stuff. But it's very much like A Hard Day's Night in terms of, oh, wow. uh, you know, of the stuff that's going on and the quips that they make, the little jokes and and so forth, except it's actually more natural. There are times in A Hard Day's Night when it feels like they're acting just yeah. here and there yeah. in, in the Beatles first U S visit, they're not acting. They're just being who they are. Um, and, and you get to see how brilliantly that was captured in a hard day's night. Cool. I'm glad I asked you about, about that. Blair. <laughs> All right. Well, 
Man, uh, after all your answers, I'm thinking that I'm I'm sticking so straight down the the middle path here. Uh, but another one of the music movies that I would watch again and again and again is the Blues Brothers. Of course. <laughs> yes. Not not that I got to see those guys live, but <laughs> but what an incredible movie filled with incredible music played by incredible musicians and and guest and guest artists i mean aretha franklin and ray charles and and gosh i mean who i i made notes joe walsh was actually in it as a prisoner um i don't know is that appropriate i, I don't know uh, <laughs> james james brown um but steve cropper and blair i think you met steve cropper didn't you I did three gigs with Steve Cropper. Yeah. I sang Soul Man uh, with Steve Cropper playing guitar, and he produced that record, and I sang uh, uh, Mustang Sally, uh, which he wrote, and In the Midnight Hour with him, and he told me um, a very, very funny joke that uh, I enjoyed and have enjoyed repeating over the years that he could barely get through uh, telling me. Uh, it was while we were having pizza in Hawaii, and... Uh, but uh, yeah, and we went out uh, shopping. He and his wife and I went out uh, shopping in Hawaii because she wanted to buy some Hawaiian trinkets. It was uh, it was quite an adventure. He uh, and I kept thinking, this is Steve Cropper, like who who co-wrote "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay" among many others, you know. So anyway, but I I like I like, um, I like uh, uh, Blues Brothers, but. Um, Mostly because I find it funny, um, not so much because Steve Cropper's in it, although that's great. But uh, the Blues Brothers is a good choice. Some great songs. What a car chase through that mall. <laughs> yes. I think they actually did destroy a mall. They drove a bunch of cars through a mall. That's another one that, it's, that um, I've always heard of. Never, never seen that. <laughs> oh, add that to your list. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Don't get a long list after the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Neil, how are we doing with the scores? So so far we've got uh, Alistair has two points, Blair has one. Oh, did no one else have a hard day's night? Didn't I snipe three nope. of you with Spinal Tap? Oh, was yeah. it three? Oh, yeah. you, you? I had I Spinal I Tap. Had spin I had oh, Spinal Tap. Oh, I, I didn't realize Blair has Spinal Tap. Okay. I, yeah. Okay, so Alistair has yeah. three. My apologies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to rip you off. <laughs> Tell me about it. No, the keeping score is harder than you think. Yeah. <laughs> Well, especially when you snipe from everybody. Jeez. <laughs> that, yeah, that was a good one. So the next uh, order will be uh, Blair, Alistair, Neil, and then me. So Blair, you're up. All right. Um, walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anybody? No? No. Nope. I got to tell you guys, I'm, I'm less interested in earning points than I am about telling you guys yeah. about some great music yeah, movies. Yeah, absolutely. This, this movie, man, the songs in it are brilliant. It's a, uh, it's a great uh, pastiche of biopics. It was made at a time when both uh, Ray, about Ray Charles, and, uh, and uh, I Walk the Line, about Johnny Cash, were both in the theaters still. So they made this movie about this fictional character, Dewey Cox, and, um, and it had all the biopic tropes. You know, the, the, uh, uh, you know, he has some kind of disability, because you know that's he's going to overcome it to become the superstar that he becomes and the disability is he has no sense of smell 
and, uh, and and but also there's tragedy to do with a sibling in his life like there was with for both johnny cash and ray charles and uh, in this case um his brother uh, he sliced his brother's uh, brother in half so that his brother was just a torso uh with a sword um and and uh and they, they just the way they do it is so funny. They 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 have you know the the movie the the early days the nostalgic times are shot in this golden hue and and they're having such fun together and they're playing with swords and you just know somebody's gonna <laughs> gonna die at one point. I think they're playing with guns and it's like and 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 uh, Dewey Cox is as a kid is saying this is just the greatest day ever nothing could go wrong on a day like today <laughs> and and you know of course the whole thing is leaning towards something going terribly wrong yeah um it's just so great the songs are sexy and great they're written largely by a guy named dan Byrne, who's a great singer songwriter is that right i didn't realize yeah and man, and there and the Beatles appear, and they're played by uh, Jack Black and Paul Rudd, and uh, you know a couple of other comics who do the worst Beatle impressions you've ever <laughs> heard in your life. And how they how they indicate that they're the Beatles is, you know, Jack Black will say, "Well, I'm not sure about that. Me, as Paul McCartney, <laughs> believes that such and such and such and such, you know." And it's just so great and. Dewey Cox plays himself at age 14, uh, it's uh, John C. Riley, and he'll say, well, I don't know, as a 14-year-old, I would say, because he looks like he looks like the 40-year-old man that he is, you know. It's just so stupid mm -hmm. and so great, but also with great songs. I, I agree. I really love that one, yeah. All right. Uh, Alistair, you're next. All right. Well, where to go? Where to go? Where to go? Um, okay. Well, I, I have to, uh, for, for my... Uh, Beatles brethren here, I uh, have to pick a song based on on Beatles music, and my favorite is "Yesterday." Oh yeah, oh, of course, what yeah. a wonderful movie! The the Danny Boyle with, mm -hmm. with Himesh Patel and Lily James and Ed Sheeran, and a wonderful uh, guest appearance or, or 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 cameo by uncredited, I think, by Robert Carlyle mm. playing John. Oh, right. yeah, he did an amazing job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was it was a it was a beautiful movie about about you know the relationship between the characters. Plus, it had all the great music, mm, yeah. and and you know that the notion that well, what if something could happen such that you know this part of history was completely erased and never happened, and only five people remember it? We wouldn't have Oasis. We wouldn't have Oasis. <laughs> <laughs> or the or the monkeys. No, or the monkeys. Or the monkeys. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, It's yeah, a it's a beautiful movie. It really yeah, is. I thought it was a really cool idea. I actually wrote um actually wrote a, a a piece on my blog, asking all sorts of questions like, how come they only went for like the really nice ballady, heartfelt, and rocker songs? Like, how come how come we didn't see happiness as a warm gun <laughs> or something mm. a little bit weirder? And are the Beatles actually that good? Is, is, that, is that the thesis of this movie that in 2020 or whatever it was, you know, if, 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 if the Beatles had come out today, they would be as popular is, you know, are those kind of melodies still still in in the in the pop culture i was asked, posing all these sorts of questions because it because it raised good, all these questions for me watching it it's like what, yeah what's that's, going a, on here? that's a really good question i think certainly when you have a phenomenon like like the beatles uh you know it it, it builds upon itself 
So, you know, I, I, I don't, I, that occurred to me too, watching that, that movie. I thought, would this really happen? Because I don't know that those songs are all bulletproof in the same way. They would be popular. I don't know, like without the phenomenon, you know, uh, and, and they, and also the Beatles kind of set the standard so that the stuff that exists today, partly, including Taylor Swift and, you know, whomever and Drake and so forth, partly it's because of the, the Beatles and what they did. It's not as direct a correlation for Drake, for instance, but definitely there's a, there's got, there's a connection because the, the table was set by this phenomenon. Whether it could be repeatable, I, I don't think so. Any artist is, is reacted to by the time that they're in. Yes. So something that um, would make it different, make a huge splash in 62 might not in 2002 because it's a different world. But I did read a um, interview with someone actually who was in one of the very early Beatles sessions and who didn't really know who they were. They're just, you know, just these kids. And they said that he just heard it and the music was so, there was just so much more of it, the ranges and the way they handled harmonies and they delivered the lines was so different there that it was it was actually substantially different and right. it seems normal now but at the time it wasn't you know because it was right. there was skiffle and there was you know there was still very much the folk thing yeah yeah i i, I think too they were it's hard to think of this now because they're wearing their suits and ties but they were considered very dangerous and they were. and uh, mm -hmm. and edgy and they and they they played louder and harder than any other band yeah. uh, at the time and and they worked harder too when you read early histories of the beatles they like the book that i always refer to is tune in by um by um uh, what's his name uh, mark lewison um he paints a picture of these guys who like they were when they would play the cavern club and they'd play like you know five lunch times in a row They'd have new songs every day, every single day. You know, it takes me a few weeks to get a new song into my repertoire. And here they, they would play them. They, they had a little record player and, and they'd play the 45 that they had just got. And they'd learn it and play it a few minutes later in the lunchtime session. And, and they were so excited by music. And I think that was different for, for compared to most of the other groups around the, at that time. So... Yeah, I, I, no doubt that they, but, uh, but again, that's the context of their time. And if Neil is posing the question, would it happen today? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, and also would, 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 that, would that scenario work with any other band? Like, could you do that for, like, imagine that was about the Kiss as opposed to the Beatles. Or Grandmaster Flash. Another <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> pioneer. Kiss, who for me never had any, well, no, a heresy. I'm sorry. I'm not a Kiss fan. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but uh, Grandmaster Flash, though, you know, when you consider the, uh, the um, you know, the, 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 the history or the, not the history, the, the practice of, uh, of freestyling, like, like, that would be pretty exciting to be around the emergence of of a new rap right in the moment and and i think that's part of the beatles excitement is that spontaneity and i think you have a, a good deal of that in in rap music you know in the best of it anyway so anyway yeah but it's, it's the bigger question of could you separate the artist from the songs yeah. and 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 make a suggestion that the songs on their own are strong enough to instantly part of that reaction could could taylor swift's songs be you know 
in a, in a parallel universe delivered by somebody completely different and have an impact? It's a good question. So there, um, I'll tell you all about my thoughts on Kiss because I was like, Blair, I, I hated them. And then I sort of, then I finally got it. Uh, when I was, when I was 12 and 13, I loved Alice Cooper. Yeah. And I can see if I were 12 and 13, I would love Kiss, mm. but I wasn't. By the time Kiss came around, it's like Star Wars. Again, I'll be a heretic and say, when, when, you know, I'm, I'm 64. When Star Wars came out, I was, uh, I was 17 and I really liked it, but not like a 12 year old would or a 10 year old, you know, not in the same way, because to me, it was just a movie. It was a good movie. It's a really good movie, but that's it. And same thing with Kiss, I think, you know, um, uh, you know, they, they anyway, so yeah. someday I'll expand on this even more, but uh, that I'll do it in response to you, Phil. We'll okay. leave it for now. <laughs> I never liked them as a kid, actually. I only actually came to their appreciation much later. Interesting. Yeah. One of my fondest memories was seven years old. I was at my Uncle Nan's for the summer, and and my Uncle Nan took my brother and I to go see The Empress Strikes Back. I had no idea what I was watching. I'd never seen the other one, but my mind just like... Oh, that was and, so and now I've given up on stuff. Like post-Disney, I'm just like, I don't care oh, anymore. <laughs> hmm. yeah. But anyway. Okay, who's next, Bill? It's you, Neil. Okie dokie. Where to go? Okay, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, since we're talking about nostalgia, I go to my go to my teenage days, movie I fell in love with, because our um, in the music department in high school, they put this movie on, on, on VHS and, and made us watch it, and we all fell in love with it. Amadeus. Oh, what a great choice. What a great choice. Right? And yeah, just the choice. drama was so compelling. The music, we, we knew the music, of course, because you know those yeah. songs, even if you don't know those songs. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, just, and just incredible, especially, especially that the, the, the scene at the end where, where Mozart is dictating and Salieri is writing the stuff down and he's got it all in his head and all the little parts and you hear the orchestra in the background just like that 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 one scene just like blew my little 16 year old brain away <laughs> just like, that, that was inspiring to me that movie was inspiring to me absolutely beautiful movie agreed uh my uh choice would be uh, a documentary that covers one of my favorite kinds of music which is motown which is standing in the shadows of motown 2002 documentary a film directed by paul Justman. It recounts the story of the Funk Brothers, the uncredited and largely unheralded studio musicians who were the house band uh, for uh, the Barry Gordy handpicked in 1959 and played on most of the fantastic. I got, I got Blair. You got Blair on that one? What's on your yeah. list? Phil's got a point. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It is fantastic. It's got it's got a, a dramatized sections, which at the time oh. I, I saw it at its at its premiere, not its only premiere, but at its premiere at the uh, at the Northern Ontario Film Festival in Sudbury. Mm. I don't know why it was there, but it was a premiere night, uh, and uh, and and the dramatized sections. When I saw it, I thought, "Oh, do you need to do that?" But I think they did, and they sort of show how James Jamerson uh, was a, a very troubled soul and so forth. Mm -hmm. But um, so it's not all documentary, but it is largely. And I was not a fan. Of, you, you remember Joan Osborne, the the song uh, "What If God Was One of Us"? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, great song written by the guy from one of the guys from the uh, Hooters, and cool. um, uh, and I really like that song, and I liked her in, in her interpretation of it. But 
I thought that uh, was in a interviews. No, it, well, yeah, it sounds like it would be, but uh, in um, in interviews after she talked about how it, you know, it's a pop song and it didn't really suit her and and so forth. And I used to think, oh, come on, you had a huge hit, enjoy it. Don't try and tell us what you'd really like to do. You know, people do that all the time. They 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 have a hit and then they downplay it and they backpedal. But what I really do is I sing the blues. She would say, and I and I remember thinking, oh, shut up. So when Joan, I'm sorry, Phil, I I dived right into your explaining how much you like yeah. the film but um when she walked out i was thinking oh god it's joan osborne you know i'm gonna have to sit through this she walks out and she sings what becomes of the brokenhearted the david mm. ruffin song and it's killer it's so great the vocal performance is so great the band is so great and when she finishes like I'm getting chills just mentioning it. When she finishes in the theater that I was in, she got applause mm. because people were communally blown away, which is amazing because sometimes with music, I think oh, I'm the only one who digs this, you know, and, and, and in this theater, in this moment, in the moment that it happened, I'm, everyone is clearly feeling the same thing I'm feeling. She was amazing. So the movie is terrific, but that moment, you can look it up. It's on YouTube. People have separated it out because it is amazing. It is wonderful. It was just so fascinating to hear the stories of these people who, you know, a lot of them were, were jazz guys. They weren't, you know, necessarily into pop and they would, you know, do the session work and then they would go off to bars and play like, you know, their, their jazz gigs. But it was also interesting to find out how much money they made. Some of them were very, very, very wealthy. One of them was saying that they were fine with it. They said, you know, they didn't want to go on the road and perform in front of thousands of people. They wanted to have this job where they could go home and have dinner with their kids and, and have a normal life. One of the highlights for me of uh, Standing in the Shadows of Motown was they had a track um, soloed of James Jamerson's bass. And as a bass player, I just loved that and uh, listened to that that track many times because it's just uh, it's wonderful to hear his playing, which is, you know, the tone now would not be acceptable, but it's uh, it's just an amazing piece of work. And just the fact that they would be able to lay down these tunes that have lasted for, you know, decades in one or two takes. I've got a question about that at the risk of, of spoiling someone else's list in case they have this other documentary on, <laughs> on their list. But that's not the same group as the Wrecking Crew, correct? No, the, the Wrecking Crew no. is in California, right? Yeah, in okay. Los Angeles, and uh, they played on Phil Spector records. They played, right. you know, and, and yeah, it was a different group of people um, entirely. So you had this scene going on in Detroit with the 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 Funk Brothers being the the backing band for Motown, and then in in California at roughly the same time, the Wrecking okay. Crew, which mm -hmm. by the way, Carol Kay, who played bass and yeah. guitar in the Wrecking Crew, yeah, claims very, very very vociferously that nobody called it the Wrecking mm -hmm. Crew. Hal Blaine called it that a couple of times, but at the t afterwards, but at the time, she said. Nobody called it the Wrecking Crew. We were just a bunch of session musicians who played together a lot. Okay, you got, got that name after after the yeah. fact. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the drummer called it that. Yeah, called them okay, that. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So hopefully no one, because I think that was a doc, there was a documentary about that yeah. as well. That's right. The, it's a really good one. Yeah. 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 That one I'd seen. I've never seen the the, the 
the other one you're talking standing about. Standing in the standing in the shadows, shadows of Motown. Of Motown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which which you mentioned before, Phil, on, on the show. So I was yes, absolutely. Absolutely wonderful. And you know, if you're into making making music, it's worthwhile understanding how this stuff worked. Uh, I'm going to do a bit of Canadiana, and I went. I think I actually saw the premiere in Toronto uh, with the drummer of my band, um, the incredibly annoyingly talented Mark Collins. It is Anvil, the story of Anvil, a 2008 <laughs> Canadian rockumentary film about the Canadian heavy metal band Anvil, uh, directed uh, by the screenwriter Sasha Gervasi in his directorial, uh, directorial debut. And it features interviews with other musicians who have been influenced by the band, including Slash, Tom uh, Era, uh, Lemmy, and Lars Ulrich. Yeah, it was a band I wasn't terribly familiar, familiar with, but it was interesting how they were you know, quite the force of nature for a while and uh, sort of the their rise and fall. You know, it was it was great. So if you're wondering what it was like to be in the uh, Canadian heavy music scene uh, and they did very well for a while it was the story of Anvil. Yes, I recorded Anvil at the Elma Combo uh, in the in their heyday um, for a radio broadcast for, I think, Q107. And uh, they were loud. Yeah. And uh and uh, I had them in my, on my radio show at CFRB when uh, the movie, when the documentary came out. And oh. um, that was fun, too. They're, they're fun characters. And uh, Lips, the uh, lead singer, his brother was my accountant for a little while. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have some weird little connection to them somehow. It is a funny movie. It's a good movie. It's funny. It uh, pulls at the heartstrings a little bit. It's it's a good movie for sure. It's tough, but they were certainly they were certainly the thing for a while. Yeah. So. yeah. You know, I've never heard of this band Anvil. You say Anvil, I think of uh, Roadrunner and Coyote. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, kind of, it's it's kind of like kind of dumb rock, and it's deliberately uh-huh. so. And yeah. that's why the, the the documentary is Anvil: The Story of Anvil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it's yeah. meant to be just a little dumb. Yeah. You know? They didn't take themselves overtly serious, which. No, which is good because you never should. Okay, where are we going to go next? Okay, let's go with um, let's go with one of the funnest movies I've ever seen, School of Rock. Of course, great choice. Okay, School of Rock with uh, with Jack Black, which had no right to be a great movie. It just don't. It it was it was cheesy at times, and it was like hokey and everything, but it just had so much heart to it that I don't know. It's just just great, but it's so fit. Who Jack Black is? Yeah, and then I think he's yeah. he's yeah. largely responsible for it being what it is. Yeah, it was written by um, his name is Mike White, isn't it? He 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 played uh, Ned Schneebly in the movie. Oh, okay, okay, he wrote it. He, he's a writer. He wrote okay, it. I didn't I didn't know that. So I thought that, I, that that was hilarious that he's white and Jack Black is black. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've seen that many many times. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it way too many times for for, for it to be. Yeah, for yeah, I can't make an excuse. But um, I, I think I think recently I, th- I saw something on socials where all the kids that are grown up now, um, they did like a reunion concert <laughs> or whatever, and with with Jack Black and everything. It's kind of cool. And those kids were actually playing. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 If anything, if, if nothing else, it's authentic. Mm. Like it's it's real. <laughs> Yeah, right. the, the guitar player, the character's name was, I want to say, Zach. Yeah. I saw, I saw a little feature of, of him, and, and that kid could shred. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Alistair, you're up. 
oh, so many movies, so little time. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go way left of center here. And uh, I'm going to pick the Dave Grohl documentary, Sound City. Oh, oh yeah. That's a good one. Great. Yeah, from, from 2013. I, I believe... Uh, I believe the impetus for him making the movie was that he bought the Neve console from Sound City so that it wouldn't go into the trash bin. Right. And he and I think he initially thought, uh, let's make let's make a documentary about this console, but it grew it became bigger than that. It became, you know, the the Sound City story. Oh. And right. largely the you know, how Fleetwood Mac discovered uh stevie nixon lindsey buckingham because of sound city right it was it was just an incredible documentary has anyone here not seen it because no that's got to go i don't even know what sound city is studio (laughs) oh legendary uh la studio Um, yeah and and kind of dumpy and kind of trashy but um but like everybody recorded there and i guess there's no longer there since you got the new console well no they didn't they alistair i think they reopened it i think they may have reopened it but with different gear with different gear yeah 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 um, but uh i mean dave Grohl came to love it because nirvana went down there i believe to to record at sound city yeah right but the the story is about the studio not about dave Grohl. oh well it's about it's about a rock history that that flowed okay. through Sam City. So okay, okay. a lot of the story of Fleetwood Mac and Rick Springfield and Tom Petty and, and Tom Petty, yeah. Okay. And the list goes on and on and and, mm. and just incredible. It's it's like a fly in the wall experience. A mighty wind. Ah, another <laughs> great choice. If we had if we had this a spinal tap, you may as well have a mighty wind. That's right. Yeah. It's, so, it's almost entirely so, the same cast. <laughs> after um after uh, Spinal Tap, um, the principals from Spinal Tap, the three principals, uh, appeared on Saturday Night Live as the folksmen. And they, uh, uh, Harry Shearer had a bald wig and he played upright bass. And um, the other two, you know, acoustic guitar and banjo. And they looked like the Kingston Trio. They had striped shirts. They looked extremely clean cut and very, very white. And uh, they sang... Uh, their folk songs that really sounded like the folk scare. Uh, th- that's what Martin Mall called it when uh, in the pre-Beatles time, there was the great folk scare when mm-hmm. folk music came along just before the Beatles came along and saved us. And the folk songs, they, like the, the song um, that the folksmen sang on Saturday Night Live went something like, uh, it was like, uh, I knew an, old, an old, knew an old lady who swallowed a fly, that kind of thing where it goes from thing to thing to thing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then it ended up, it, oh, every line, every time it, it ended up, as the verses got longer and longer, it ended up with, and a smelly old blanket that a Navajo wove. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so like that genre of music. Mm. Politically incorrect, but but also just so realistic given that genre. That's the mm. kind of thing that, that would have been included in that kind of folk song. Anyway, A Mighty Wind has the folksmen in it, but it also, it's about a reunion concert and uh, there's a duo in it like Ian and Sylvia from oh, the folk yeah. scare days. And uh, they're play. it's uh, Catherine O'Hara and... Um, Eugene and, uh, Levy. Is it Eugene, Eugene Levy? Levy. Eugene yeah. Levy. Yeah. yeah, and they, ha- and, and it's just so funny and so great. And it's so earnest. Mm. Um and uh, 
it's like a different, it's not the same as Spinal Tap, which is, you know, about this heavy metal band, this hard rock band. This is about people who are really idealistic and squeaky clean. And, uh, and it's great. It's really great. All right, Neil, how are we doing with the scores? Uh, Alistair's a three, Blair's at one, Phil is at one. I am yet to snipe anybody. Okay, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do a shameless plug. And, and uh, the, the music movie uh, that I want to talk about is called Leroy Silk Unmuted, mm. which I oh. produced and wrote all the music for. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Definitely should see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's available on YouTube. <laughs> What's it about? What's it about? <laughs> well, it's uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Peter Sabo, he, he wrote a full-length script for a movie about kind of a you know past his prime uh musician who feels like there's nothing left for him and he's and he's you know sort of brought out of retirement by somebody younger who believes in him and he was all set to um to make the movie and lost his funding so became very disappointed uh he rewrote it as a short film and it was all set to begin filming uh, in May of 2020. Mm. And so that was kiboshed by the pandemic. So he was very disappointed. Uh, but he did not give up. He rewrote it so that it could be filmed remotely. Hence, it, it became Leroy Silk unmuted because, you know, as of 2020, we all became very familiar with the term, you're on mute. So, uh, you know, the double entendre of the the artist who is who doesn't have the confidence to put out his new songs because he's been convinced that he has nothing more to say. And yet the, the Uber fan seeks him out and says, you know what, I, I heard the stuff you were writing when you did it in a sound check 10 years ago at, at one of your last shows. And I really believe in it. And, and so it's, it's that kind of a film filmed entirely online. So, so we filmed it during the pandemic. So it's, it's, it's a, a mix of performances to his live stream audience and Zoom meetings, you know, with this super mm -hmm. fan. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah, so I'll check that out. So it's a fun little movie. And, and my job was to come up with all the songs that, that Leroy Silk would have written 20 years ago and the songs that he wrote later that he was afraid to put out because, because he was told nobody wanted to hear that stuff. Huh. Mm. So and so, in fact, in fact, my son Sean and I wrote the songs together. Oh, nice. That's great. That's great. So we we <laughs> we uh, well, Peter directed it and he put it in for um, he, he applied to film festivals and it it didn't have a chance at film festivals largely because it didn't fit the format. It was too long a short and too short a feature. <laughs> so <laughs> right. so kind of nobody right. wanted it. Um, so we ended up releasing it on YouTube and we put out an EP. How long is it? Of the songs. It's 21 minutes. Right. It's too long for a short? It's too long for a short. Yeah. Yeah. The, the length of those things are very um, prescriptive and sometimes yeah. to the detriment of the movie. Maybe like sometimes. six or 12 minutes long or something. I think, yeah. I think once it gets about, you know, beyond 10 or 12 minutes, it's, it it's doesn't fit the format. No. And, and we couldn't imagine cutting any substantial amount of the songs from a movie about the songs 
Right. So it had That's to right. have it had to have the story move along, and it had to have the songs. So twenty one minutes. Well, wow. okay. Well, we'll definitely have to check that out. My choice um, will be the movie of Punk Icon uh, Sid Vicious with Sid and Nancy. Oh, nice. Yes, uh, nineteen ninety six British biographical film uh, directed by Alan Cox and co-written by um, Abe Wood, uh, uh, Wool, and starring, of course, uh, Gary Oldman, who did an amazing job, and Joel uh, Webb, and who plays, uh, of course, his um, his girlfriend. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, it didn't actually, it was released in 86, didn't recoup its production uh, budget, but it was received positively by critics and developed a cult following. I always enjoyed it and just took it as face value. But according to, uh, I did a bit more research. Apparently they got most of the information of the film from Joe Strummer, which is odd, and never talked to um, Johnny Rotten. And he kept on saying, why didn't they talk to me? And he said, basically, right. the only thing they got right was his name. So there you go. But I still enjoyed the movie. I can't rely on biopics for historical accuracy, can we? <laughs> so, Neil, what's, uh, what's, what's your final choice going to be? Okay. Um, so my next pick, <clears throat> we'll go for another animated, uh, an animated movie, Coco. Ah. Pixar film from... That few years ago which at i mean at its heart it's it's about music i, I don't even necessarily remember all the songs in this in this thing but it's a it, the whole story is about the power of music and it's just uh incredibly emotional and surprising in some ways and just a, just a beautifully beautifully done um beautifully done picture i've never seen it never seen it It'll make you cry. Uh, there was a time when, uh, even when my son was, you know, 16, 17, we'd go to all the Pixar movies, no matter how childish they were. We went to Frozen together when he was probably too old to want to go to Frozen, but he <laughs> wanted to see. That might have been the last one. That might have done it, actually. Right. Yeah. But he wanted to see it. And um, so we never saw Coco. Thankfully, my kids did not want to see Frozen. <laughs> it totally holds up for adults. I mean... Absolutely. It's definitely not, not necessarily a kid's film at all. I mean, in a lot of ways, there is some darkness to it, actually. It's dar darkness, but not the over-the-top evil no. darkness. No, no. Of, of a lot of Disney movies. Well, I, I, thought that, I thought that was really well done, yeah. Yeah, it was really, there's that one twist in the middle, which I won't spoil, but it just, it, it, it hits you kind of hard. And it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> and that was kind of dark. <laughs> but, it's, but yeah, you're right, not over the top and not violent and not <laughs> like anything like that. And, and much better than Encanto. Much, much, much better than Encanto. Blair, what is going to be your final choice? Oh, well, again, I have a few choices. I'm looking at my phone where I noted them. And the question is, do I want to say something that almost certainly will be on someone else's list, but maybe not? Or do I want to say something that would be an outside choice, but that I really enjoyed, mm. but it's really outside? I think I'll pick that one because it's really an outside choice. It's a movie about songwriters, two songwriters who are... <laughs> I know where you're going! <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, who are played uh, by... Um, Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman. Um, it's really funny. If you're a songwriter, it's really funny. It's widely considered, along with Heaven's Gate, to be like the biggest Hollywood disaster ever. They spent a lot of money making it and nobody liked it. And uh, and yet, I've seen it a couple of times and I really liked it. Not, not unironically, I will admit. 
Um, but I really enjoyed my experience of watching it, partly because the songwriting stuff seemed pretty accurate to me and pretty funny. So the movie's name is Ishtar. <laughs> and uh, it's... I but honestly, at the time, everybody described it as the worst movie about anything ever made. I had no and idea that I was about songwriting. I disagree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I disagree. Well, the first 20 or 30 minutes are, are purely songwriting and very familiar to anybody who's attempted to write a song with another person. Yes. Yeah. Well, a after that, I mean, you could, you could turn the movie off and, and have enjoyed the, have the most part. musical part. I think that's probably true. Yes. Yeah. I think that's because, probably because true. Because it's a different you, movie after that. My, that's my argument for Ishtar. It's, it's not really that passionate an argument, I got to say. <laughs> I did enjoy, as Alistair says, particularly the first 20 minutes. So, Neil, what is the final score? Who is the big winner today? Alistair is the big winner. Thank you to Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah, Alistair has three. Blair, Blair and Phil are tied for one. I stay completely neutral. <laughs> this would this would this would be this would be far more satisfying if instead of three points, you know, we got a hundred points for each snipe, and then I could say I had three hundred points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. This is this is like a hockey score. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd still be at zero. <laughs> All right, now we go through our bring out the dead round, where we mm -hmm. just go through the stuff we didn't get to talk, uh, we didn't get to go through. So let's start off with Blair. Well, I have, and do we talk about them really, uh, briefly? Pretty quickly, yeah. Very quickly, yeah. Okay, uh, Amy, the Amy Winehouse oh, documentary. Yeah. Of course. So fantastic, yeah. What a what a great film, and what, and what a sad, tragic film as well. Mm -hmm. But it really shows, if you have any doubts about her, the, the depth of her talent, uh, you watch that movie, that'll change your mind. Um, Almost Famous, the Cameron Crowe movie, about touring with rock bands when he was a teenage writer for Rolling Stone. He was in high school and he went on the road with some bands. And uh, uh, he directed this film about his teenage self. It's an autobiographical movie and it's terrific. Um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Hedwig and the Angry Inch is a movie about um, a, uh, a transsexual, uh, transgendered person who... Um, it has a botched uh, operation and is left with um, a an, an inch long. <laughs> anyway, you can gather what I'm getting at, and uh, but it's it got it's a it's an off Broadway musical that ran for quite a while and then was made into a film. And uh, the songs are terrific. The songs are great. And I actually worked on that film for one day um, on set. Uh, very unusually for me, I sub substituted for Doug McClement. Uh, the great Doug McClement um, uh, for one day, and I got a screen credit. That's that's <laughs> Doug McClement for one day. I get a screen credit because Doug insisted he's, and he paid me too. So anyway, but it's a terrific film. And then uh, finally, uh, the commitments. That's what I got too. Come yeah. on, come on, not? the commitments. Yeah. This just yeah. goes to show that we needed far longer than an hour to talk about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well. Yeah. Don't don't judge me. Uh, Eurovision Song Contest: The Story of Fire Saga. <laughs> Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a hilarious movie. It's so much fun. But I think what cemented it for me was when somebody told me how accurately it depicts the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like really? Yes, it's absolutely like that. Yeah. Wow. 
It's and crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, purple rain. Of course. Of course. Oh, yeah. How purple nobody rain. could pick purple rain? That's amazing. Of course. Rain. Loved yeah. purple rain. Yeah. The yeah. album was so much better than the movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but they're two separate things, you know. I know there's two separate things, but yeah. Certainly, the music is the strength of the movie, not the acting. But it wasn't his worst movie. It wasn't even oh, his God. second worst movie. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought it was his only movie, but yeah, he's got a lot of stuff oh, no. that we never even heard of. So, <laughs> yeah, no, well, he's... he had a few feature films. Oh, really? Well, well under, he did under the under the, the cherry, cherry moon. moon. Yeah. And then Graffiti Bridge, which which I oh, yeah. was probably his worst movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. yeah. Um, Sing Street. Sing Street. Oh yeah. Have you have you seen Sing Street? I've heard uh, of it. Yes. I've only heard of it. A John Carney movie. Uh, about these teenagers in the eighties in uh, in Ireland forming a band and trying to figure out what their sound is and and what was really cool was they tried on the styles of all these bands that were famous in the 80s and mm -hmm. the music that was written and produced for the film was so beautifully in honor of those songs they were trying to copy so they That's the band awesome. the band tried to make music like duran duran so they had mm -hmm. original an original song that was in the vein of duran duran they tried to be hollow notes they tried to be it was just one after the other after the other and they were huh. and they were beautiful heartfelt songs and it was a lovely you know teenage love story and all that and you know i grew up you know, I was most impressed by music in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So it had all, it pressed all the buttons for me. Coda. Oh, oh yeah. Coda, oh, which... Such a great movie. Which won the Oscar for Best Picture and many other Oscars in 2021, 22. Wow, I don't even know it at all. Yeah. Uh, Coda stands for Child of Deaf Adults. Right. So, so wow. the main character is this high school age girl whose entire family is deaf, and they run a fishing operation, and they rely on her to to help the business relate with other businesses and other people. And yet, she's oh. she's in high school, and she has a dream to make music, and her her family has no physical ability to appreciate what she can do. Amazing. What is and, that? Up? What a and, premise! And and yet they, you know, there's lots of love in the family, and they still support her. And if, if, even though sending her a radio music school would would cause tremendous challenges for the family to keep. And, and, and the, the actors, the, the the actors who play the parents are actually disabled, deaf. Who, yes, yeah. and, and and her brother as well. Yeah, and her brother as well. That's right. So in fact, family. she she learned sign language, sign language yeah, American yeah. sign language, so that she could make the film without an interpreter. She did not want an interpreter on set, and this is this is a teenage actress who yeah. who said, "No, this is this is the way I'm going to do it. Uh, I want to I want to fully relate with my co-stars on this film." So she learned ASL, and and she did all this learning ASL, uh, uh, learning to speak with an American accent because I believe she's British. I think all the best actresses and actresses are British. Kidding. Uh, <laughs> she learned. She had uh, vocal training so she could actually sing the part. And she did all of this while she was making another uh, series in preparation for Coda. So, hardest working actor award goes to Jones. Yeah. Yeah. And it was yeah. it was an incredible, incredible film. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. Beautiful. Every, every Oscar season, my wife and I we watch all the movies nominated for Best Picture, and we make our predictions. Right. And um, and at the time, all the buzz was about um, 
Benedict Cumberbatch movie that was, in my opinion, it was just awful. And I and I thought this would be a travesty if that wins and Coda doesn't. And then Oscar night comes and Coda wins and we danced around the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely, you know, Coda is a beautiful, beautiful movie. All right. For all the right reasons. And I think that's my list exhausted. All right, Neil, what's, what's your Bring Out the Dead? Uh, Bring Out the Dead is I had uh, Searching for Sugar Man. A great oh, dog. Of course. And, um, yep. Songwriter, um, Coco, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, one of my favorite oh, of musical course, movies. Great songs. Um, that's that a musical, song, yeah. Danny Elfman, uh, singing and songwriting. Uh, I mean, there's a uh, Peter Gabriel's Secret World Live, which I never Ooh. saw in, in person. I only saw the tour after that, but I have the DVD of it. And wow, like, talk about artist with a capital A. <laughs> mm. All the staging and the storytelling through the visuals and everything, just beautifully, beautifully done. And his dream team band, Tony Levin and Manu Kache and David Rose. And, and um, who's he had on backup vocals? Paula Cole. Mm. Oh, wow. You're really cool. Right. Um, uh, Sound of Music. Of course. No explanation <laughs> needed. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I considered that, but I but I was I was sticking you know, narrowly to songs about musicians and artists. So Right. Was, yeah, uh, which which I hadn't I felt like I didn't see enough of those. So I was like branching out to like just oh, okay. things about music. Right, yeah, right. Right. yeah. So but so. my my last one was Walk the Line that I had on on the list, which was pretty powerful. Uh, but um yes. well, well then yeah. you have to see Walk Hard. Yeah. yeah, you really do. absolutely. If, yes. you, if you love Walk the Line, yeah, you'll love in a completely. I feel like I need to rewatch way. Walk the Line first. I haven't seen it in many years, but <laughs> right. I, well, I just remember well, it being. I remember it being really hard, like just watching the guy, like yeah, do a like, nasty stuff to himself. Do a, a double feature. It'll be yeah. it'll be fun. <laughs> it'll be worth it. Feature. Yeah, yeah. I had a bunch. Uh, one is the Buddy Holly story, nineteen seventy eight. Oh. So great. Which Oscar-nominated uh, lead performance by Gary Busey, who actually sang and played guitar. So well worth yep. about that. Uh, the Archies, which, of course, because um, I uh, loved. And Archies actually came up because the Monkees wouldn't actually perform Sugar Sugar because they thought it was too sucky of a song. And uh, Archies was completely fictional, but fun. Uh, the Decline of Western Civilization, a 1981 American documentary Film through 79 and 80 about the Los Angeles punk rock scene. Oh, okay, but I must interrupt you and say I should have thought of The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, which was oh, made yes. by the same director, Penelope Spheris, who um, I've seen both of them, and I really like the punk one, but the second one is about hair metal in L.A., and it's fantastic because it's so funny and it was it was what got penelope spheris the job of directing wayne's world because ah. uh decline too was so funny and uh and just a, such a witty take on hair hair bands in la well not only that is like i had seen that and then i think a little bit while after that i had turned on the tv and saw spinal tap so I actually thought Spinal Tap was real until I figured out it was a joke. But that's how close they were together. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Is is Decline Two is is as if it's the as if it's Spinal Tap for real. Yes, and of course Rocket Man that we had a competition on the show and uh, had a great thing with our listeners and that was great. And so that was that was uh, good fun. We're one final round, 
is if you have one, your least favorite movie about musicians, uh, starting with Neil. So I, I had a hard time trying to think of this when, when you suggested a film. Like, I, I've only seen films that I like, and if I didn't like something, I'd probably turn it off in the first 15 minutes. So <laughs> I can't really say. But I did think of one. So I've always, ever since I was a teenager, I was a big fan. I'm not a big musical fan, but I was a big fan of Les Mis. Mm. And then in 20-whatever it was when the Russell Crowe and Hathaway film came out i was super excited to go see it and i watched it and i liked it enough that i even bought the damn thing on blu-ray but something always itched me the wrong way about it and i and and i realized that it was because they had let the the actors sort of be the conductors of the music right and so the actors being more invested in the emotion of the lyric would pause and slow down and speed up and and do all this really thing you know where whereas if you listen to the musical itself with the conductor and and the tempo is more consistent and they're they're more songs <laughs> as such right and in this movie they they kind of butchered them <laughs> in, a, in a way right so it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way i did like it enough to buy it <laughs> but it's, it's sort of i don't know i, I don't know and I, I i began to think is that just my musician brain in, in getting in my way like should I just enjoy it for what it is I, I I think it's probably it's probably that you were conditioned to hear the songs a certain way, and it and it diverted from that. I I, I hear what you're saying because I loved Les Mis uh, on stage. I, I think I saw it like six times in Toronto, and wow. and then the, and then probably the touring cast when it came through Kitchener as well. And when the movie came out, there were things about it that I just naturally compared to the way I was accustomed to hearing things. Uh, but, but I, I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I love Anne Hathaway, especially. She was really good. Hmm. And the, the, and the placement of I Dreamed a Dream was way smarter than. <laughs> yeah. In, in yeah. The musical. But yeah. It's a tough one for the same reasons that, uh, that Neil stated, uh, you know, if I like something, I will watch it again and again. And if I don't like it, uh, I won't watch it all the way through. So it's, and, and, and I can be very critical uh sometimes of things other people love and yet i can still enjoy it but there might be something that bugs me about you know about it you know and people will say i thought you i thought you said you liked it and i, I really liked it but i hated that one part or whatever <laughs> um so it was tough coming up with one but i will i'll lay it on you sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band with the bgs <laughs> yes yeah. not a beetle not a beetle in sight anywhere it was by the robert stigwood organization robert stigwood almost managed the beatles but they refused him because they thought they didn't think much of him um but uh robert stigwood did manage the beatles or the beach the bgs and uh he acquired the rights to make a movie version of sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band and it was a travesty hmm. so wow. <laughs> I, I i tried and i never made it through the movie Oh yeah, oh, no. Peter Frampton is in it. He plays Billy Shears, I think, a fictional character. Yeah, and uh, and you know Peter Frampton, by all reports, is a great guy. But I'm sure that would have kept me from being friends with him if I were offered that <laughs> opportunity. You know, just from him being in that movie. So, but Peter, if you want to come on the show, you can still come on the show. Yeah, sorry, Peter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, won't, I won't be here. Yeah. <laughs> all right. How about you, Alistair? Well, I, I'm gonna. I'm going to name a movie that uh, that won Oscars, and yet I cannot watch it. 
2006, written and directed by Bill Condon, Dreamgirls. Oh, never saw I, it. I don't I, know. The music, the musical performances, when they were, when they were stage performances, you know, by the characters, are wonderful. Jennifer Hudson, wonderful. But I thought it was a grave, grave mistake that they chose to have every line of dialogue sung. Oh, like an opera. Yes. Yeah. I thought it got old really quickly, and I didn't want to hear Eddie Murphy sing his lines. Jamie Foxx can sing. We, I mean, yeah. we we all love Ray. But I I would have loved the movie way more had they not chosen to do it that way. I just I can't 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 do it. No, no. <laughs> although I although I love Les Mis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine is uh, I am a huge huge SNES fan, and I uh, love uh, Johnny Marr and. Even Morrissey, I know he's had some personal things, but I think lyrically and what he did was unique and spoke to, to many people, including myself as a one of those uh, whiny types. So I was very excited when, the, um, when I heard about the film called England is Mine, which is a British biographical drama film uh, based on the early years of uh, Morrissey and uh, Johnny Marr. It is... So bad, we couldn't even get through it. And that's partially because they apparently they weren't able to get actually any of the rights to any of the songs. So they had to use sort of sound likes. And it was just one of those things I'm watching going, someone should have said, you know, this isn't working. We should just stop. We didn't. And I, we couldn't even get through it. We tried twice and could not even get halfway through it. It is so bad. And the worst thing is it makes Morrissey look terrible. It just made him look like a dick. So unfortunately, it hasn't done well. But um, so that is my worst movie about music that I can think of offhand. Well, this would be horrible for us to end on on that note. You know, terrible. That's, that's true. Just yeah, started with that. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised that on nobody's list was Bohemian Rhapsody. Ah, yes. Which we, I enjoyed it about. Although that- I think that... Uh, counts as actually being kind of almost entirely fictional. It's um, yeah. so Amadeus, right? Like, was it? Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, they they were fr- like the whole drama between him and Salieri, they, they were friends. Yeah, that's like, true. But but that would make for a really boring movie. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, how's it going? Yeah. Okay, nice. <laughs> well, that's, that's what happened with Bohemian Rhapsody. They were just well-adjusted, you know, like professional people. It's not a very interesting movie actually but yeah there's no there's there no dramatic tension there like, uh, yeah. <laughs> well i think that's i think that's the uh, that's the band there neil i think that is the band that's all the time we have for this very special episode of song talk radio special thanks to blair and alistair great to see you, you guys sir. um and of course uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and about song studio you guys are both song studio yeah they can check out songstudio.ca uh, Alistair has built a beautiful website that tells people all about our workshop. We've had great keynote speakers and great mentors over the years. Lyle Lovett, Steve Earle, Buffy St. Marie, uh, Rick Emmett, uh, Larry Gowan, uh, Jane Sibri, uh, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Alistair, do you want to add anything to my hype? Uh, if you're a songwriter and you want to write better songs, we think we can help you. And they have. We will. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of, that's kind of what we say on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Awesome. I, I, I saw the I saw the the video um, you guys posted with with Gal. And he's a really oh, he's funny great. guy. <laughs> he's very funny. What yeah. a great guy too. Yeah. Um, okay, Very and we want to hear from you, our listeners. So please send your comments on Facebook or Instagram to at Talk Radio or send us an email at feedback at songtalk.ca. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel for live performance videos and full episodes and subscribe today to the Song Talk Radio podcast on your favorite podcast provider. You can find links to all the products, books, and web services we mentioned on the show on our resources page on the website. And please join us at our next monthly Song Talk meetup, whether you're in Toronto for our in-person meetups or anywhere in the world for our online meetups is free to join on meetup.com and free to attend bring a song and a lyric sheet and get constructive feedback from other songwriters stop by songtalk.ca for the link uh, you can follow me at neilmodi.com you can follow phil at philemory.ca how about you blair how do people get more of you blairpackham.com p-a-c-k-h-a-m packham.com Okay, and Alistair? AlistairBradley.com. Simple. <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> be sure to stop by the website, songtalk.ca, to browse past shows and find out how you can be a guest. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and keep, keep on writing. writing. Good night, everyone. <laughs>